The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai, and joining me as always to, on this occasion, go back and talk about people with orange eyebrows, Patrick Triton's no longer black hair, and quite regularly on this story, Perry's boobs. Mr. Dan Griffin, how are you doing? My brain's turned to soup and leaked out my ears, it's that hot. (laughs) And here comes more traffic. Yes, it is a very, very, very warm day in Gloucester and in York, basically all over the UK. We're sweating, we're warm, and we're fat. It's not good. It's not a good look on either side of the call. However, it's, we will power it's that, it's that hot I've been for a haircut. I, I've, I, I, no longer, I no longer resemble a swamp monster. <laughs> I noticed it. Looked, well, I didn't. I couldn't tell if it was shorter or if you were just that sweaty that you'd swept it back with all your wet, forehead wetness. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, forehead wetness. Forehead wetness. Oh, it's been a while oh. since we've had a band for the uh, for the Gallifrey Festival, but forehead wetness. <laughs> forehead wetness. <laughs> and not the oh. fun kind. No, indeed, indeed. Uh, yes, so there may be some background noise my end from noisy children in the gardens around me. There may be some noise from Dan's end, noisy traffic driving by. But <laughs> some, back, some noise from my back end. Yeah. <laughs> but windows have to be open because it is that warm and fans are far too noisy when we are recording. So we'll have to just make do, my friend. This episode today we are looking at the two doctors a colin baker story first broadcast in february of 1985 but also featuring patrick triton dan i'm assuming assuming you've never seen this before until we've recorded this no i stumbled across it completely by accident and i thought let's treat it as a mid-season special because we've we've done the other two crossovers with the three doctors and the five doctors so let's (laughs) so let's have the two doctors Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion because I've got varying opinions on this, but they kind of do sit to the two extremes. There's nothing kind of middle ground for me. I either really enjoyed stuff I was seeing or kind of just thought, what's the fucking point? But we will get into that as we go through. Well, it's a three-parter. I was about to say as we get through these two parts, but it's a three-parter, which is kind of unusual for this mid eighties era when the episodes were around 45 minutes long, isn't it? Yeah. Three, three, 45 minute episodes through, uh, through me a bit, but, um, the, the pacing wise, most of the time, I think they made the majority of it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Like you say, it's, it's, it's a weird, this is such a weird special. Cause I'm just going to throw it out there now. This is the worst of the sort of crossovers that we've done. To be quite frank, okay. Um, but it, it's kind of a I don't know. We'll get into it as we go along, but um, a lot of it felt quite racist. Well, yeah, there's racist, and I think there's one character in particular who 
well, again, we'll get into it shortly. But well, shock eye. Let's just say shock eye. We'll talk about him and explain more about him as we go. But he has this insatiable hunger. His race is that of an alien race that just has to eat all the time and so on. And he's obviously craving food. But when it comes to certain moments when he's craving Perry, it comes across quite rapey. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's uncomfortable to say the least it is it is <laughs> uh, we begin with the second doctor and jamie shot in black and white in the tardis talking away and i liked this the fact that it was in black and white mm. when it began and the color faded in but no color obviously on triton's head because he refused to dye his hair for this apparently <laughs> yeah it threw me a little bit threw me a little bit so i was like oh black and white that looks brilliant Mm. What? Why isn't his hair changed from black and white? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, some later editions of this, apparently, like re-releases for videos or D- DVDs or whatever, they did try to darken his hair on certain. <laughs> but Patrick Triton just said he wasn't going to dye his hair. Accept it. That's that. He's not doing it. So, and this is also the the last time we would see Triton as the Doctor because uh, he sadly passed away a couple of years after this in 1987. So, yeah, it's a last hurrah for, for Patrick Triton playing the role of the Doctor here, Dan. I was going to say, I'm not sure if hurrah is the right word, given some of the aspects of the story, but Troughton was... He was Troughton. He, was, he, yeah. was, enjoy- he was mostly enjoyable as the Doctor, mm. except for when he's spouting off some quite xenophobic shit about the Andricums. <laughs> Yes. It, oh man, there's so much. Oh, there's so much wrong, and so much, so much I enjoyed, but also so much wrong. It's going to be funny. It's going to be interesting. Uh, first thing as well, a little sort of behind the scenes note, I guess, to try and give a retro feel to the second Doctor's TARDIS here, in comparison to Colin Baker's TARDIS. Uh, they used an old TARDIS set, an old TARDIS prop in the middle of the room that apparently came from Peter Davidson's time in one of his first two seasons as the Doctor, because they weren't going to pay the extra money to reconstruct a TARDIS set from the 60s when Triton was the Doctor, so they used an old prop from the 80s, which in theory was only a couple of years old, so it wasn't that retro. <laughs> that, that sounds about right for the time. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It, it explains why I couldn't tell that there were supposed to be two different TARDIS exteriors. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Oh, dear. Uh we we basically have the Doctor, I suppose, being sent by the Time Lords to a big red ship, which is, you know, a, some sort of science, um, well, a collection of labs and a collection of scientists. And we find out at some point in the story that it's the 40 greatest minds in, in you know, science and research are on this ship and they're all working on different projects. And the Doctor is basically being sent there by the Time Lords to stop two professors named, I, I might have this wrong, but two professors named Karts and Reimer. Is that, I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah, or as I kept wanting to call them, uh, just name them after the, the footballer, uh, Karl Heinz Rummeniger yeah. uh, from, uh, from back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor has to travel to this red spaceship to stop Karl Heinz Rummeniger and the rest of the German national team establishing time travel. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Particularly Karsten Janke. There we go, indeed. And, the main scientist there, I suppose, the, the guy who we're led to believe was, I suppose, in charge of what's going on is a guy named Dastari. Not uh, to be confused with the uh, bottled water brand in the US. 
No, no. Well, I've never heard of that, so I would not have that confusion. But yeah, <laughs> uh, he is somebody the doctor knows from a previous time. Anyway, we're led to believe by the conversations they have, and the doctor is there to try and stop these. Well, it's worded. It's, it's quite a political thing, isn't it? I guess because they're trying. The time lords are trying to save face by not meddling in other people's business and other people's, uh, uh, I suppose, timelines and so on. And they do this by sending the Doctor because they don't have to take accountability for the Doctor because he's kind of working on the outer outside of what they, they are operating themselves, the Time Lords. But yet they still want the Doctor to go and stop these experiments. But it's worded in the way by the Doctor that if you just stop them for a bit, they'll have a look and probably let you carry on. But we all know the Time Lords don't really want it to happen and so on, don't we? They've, they've sent their nerd mercenary to the nerd convention to stop them doing bad nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then can, no one... <laughs> the doctor's expendable, effectively. Yeah, that, yeah, that's it. That's the vibe I got. And it's no one is allowed the secrets of time travel apart from the Time Lords, and that's kind of what they're being concerned about, I think, Dan, isn't it? Gatekeeping bastards, basically. Yeah, but I think there's also, I think from the doctor's point of view as well, there's obviously he has a genuine concern about ripping a hole in the fabric of space-time, <laughs> even if they do it wrong. Um, it's... Uh, it, it's kind of a back and forth between the Doctor and, and Dastari when he finally gets there. Um, I know a lot of it's built up around this whole diplomatic skill thing that he says he has. And, you know, because Jamie says, I'll just sit back and admire your diplomatic skill. And the, the joke being that he has none. Yeah. <laughs> because, he's, because he's calling Dastari an old fool and the scientist pea-brained and, and all the rest of it. Um but there's an air of sort of desperation about him, of them just to just to calm down and, and take a breath and, and let some oversight happen on the work. Mm. The Doctor is, even though he's doing it in a very undiplomatic way, the Doctor is trying to be the voice of reason. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, before we get to that, to be fair, we, we do meet Shokai for the first time. And first of all, awful name for a character. I think this is absolutely woeful. Shokai is, really? yeah, I think that's a terrible name for a character. I thought it was average. It's, yeah. It's not the best. I mean, the one thing I do like about his name is that his full name is Shokaya the Quonsing Grick. And the reason I like that is because there's a, it manages to be a bit of world building without being overt about it. Because we're letting with me Chesini, I can't remember her full name, Chesini the Franzine Grick or something like that. Yes. Which is an odd naming convention, but it suggests that it's either where they're from or from the ship that they were maybe born on, if they're like a more sort of, you know, nomadic people in space. It made me think of, um, uh, oh, I can't remember her name now, but Tally in the uh, in the Mass Effect series of video games. I'm uh, not familiar with that. Yeah, it, it, but their naming conventions, it, you had your name, and then it was basically your name of whatever ship you were born on. So I, I kind of liked that. I thought that was okay. a, a nice little thing that it adds a lot without being overt because, you know, the, between Chassini and Shokai, they use their full names as, you know, as we would, you know, when you know when you're getting told off or whatever. But you can feel sort of the, the prestige and how much stock they, the characters put behind it. Mm. Saying this, you know, the pride in where, you know, pride in where they were born and, you know, the, the, a lot of it goes into Chassini's bloodline, which is, again, is a bit... Um, a bit sort of uh, Aryan race-ish. <laughs> yeah. really, I, for me, it, the the full name aspect of it, yeah, I'm on board with. But it's it's the I suppose the first name, I guess. Yeah. 
Shock it, eye. That's a bit. It, shock eye of the Quantum Grig as a whole. It, it tells a little bit of a story. It, it adds a little part of his character. Shock eye makes me think of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two and the character Taserface and everybody's laughing at him. Yeah, because I've, I've seen that. Fucking hell! I'm I've glad I'm, I'm glad I'm sat down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I have seen bits of it. I'm familiar with that guy anyway. Yeah, Taserface thinks it's cool. Everybody else is laughing at him. Shock eye thinks it's cool. Everybody else is laughing at him. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we meet Shockeye because the Doctor and Jamie's TARDIS materialises in his kitchen. He prepares the food and, and all the meals and so on. And there's you know, meat hanging all over the place in this kitchen. And as soon as Jamie steps out the TARDIS, Shockeye is drooling at Jamie and wants to you know, basically cut him up and cook him, I suppose. The Doctor has to, I, I suppose, negotiate that that doesn't happen. Whilst Shockeye is walking around with a knife, the Doctor grabs anything he can from behind him and ends up with a cucumber, which I thought was quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, the threatening with the cucumber was quite amusing. But yeah, again, it just the way Shockeye's just sort of having a bit of a deliciousgasm, just mm-hmm. contemplating cooking Jamie was a bit, yeah. a bit off. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the TARDIS also vanishes. It's took away by, I believe, by the Time Lords. They they remove the TARDIS from where it is because they don't want the the race on this ship. What are their names again, Dan? Is it Andrums? Andrugums. Andrugums, okay. They can't obviously leave a TARDIS just willy-nilly lying around, can they? Because that'll uh, you know go against the reason they're sending the Doctor there, I suppose. So the TARDIS disappears. And it's... <sighs> So far, I don't mind this. I'm finding this quite intriguing. I find this interesting. We're seeing Triton. We're seeing Jamie. Both great characters. Shockeye, the name is a bit dodgy. But the aspect of this alien who just wants to constantly eat and will eat Jamie or his own race or whatever, I'm okay with that as well. I mean, the orange um, eyebrows and and so on. Obviously, (laughs) it's done to make them look alien. Um, I'm not 100% convinced on that front exactly. What did you think? Well, you, you, say, you say that. Basically, all they've done to try and make him look alien is give him big, bushy ginger eyebrows and make him a bit spotty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all knew a kid who looked like that at school. We did. That is true. <laughs> and if you did, chances are you were that kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point. Um, we also here meet. I suppose the main villain of the piece, don't we? But we're not aware at this stage that she is the main villain. And she was an Andrum who has been, I suppose, biologically tampered with, experimented on, and has been given incredible intelligence by Destari and, and sort of transcended away from. I mean, Shockeye is effectively portrayed as a bit of a savage, whereas this lady we don't realize that she's the same race as shockeye initially because she's been altered and tampered with so much dan don't we yeah so we do meet Jacini. she's just sort of there it's it's like she's sort of sort of the head of the household so to speak it feels like she's just keeping everything running out still a sort of servant class but a, yeah. a higher level to uh, uh to shockeye i forgot his name completely for a second but we do get a little bit of sort of looking to the the whole background of things and then the machinations as she starts talking about the cast Ryman module and that Stike is moving whoever he is and <laughs> something called a Calgesic won't have affected the scientist yet but so there's obviously betrayal happening which is a good source of intrigue yeah and again I, I'm 
I, I've, I've bought into this completely at this point. I'm completely on board with this mm. because it becomes apparent that Shakai is working. I'm going to keep forgetting this lady's name. What's Chessini? Chessini, okay. And they're Cheesy working together. <laughs> Cheesy and easy. There you go. And uh, initially, I'm thinking the way they're talking about the food that Shakai has prepared for everybody. He's saying it looked amazing. It smelled amazing. It's a shame he couldn't sample it. And then Cheesy Neasy says about being, you know, that whatever's in the food will start working soon. So it's obvious to me at this stage, I'm thinking she's poisoned them all. Mm. But it's not actually the case, is it? It's actually just that they've been drugged, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially drugged a star. It's not kicked in yet. So we get to have the whole back and forth with the, with the doctor. Um, you know, it gives Dastari the the chance to basically show off Chasini and say how she's nine. She's had nine technological augmentations, and, and she's a super genius. And she's just sort of spending her days in the data banks, just like hoovering up knowledge. And this is where we get the first indication that the doctor's going to be xenophobic because he keeps saying an androgam's an androgam, and you can't change nature. And it, the line just it. Uh, the doctor gives out a line that's just like, just it feels so uncomfortable. He says, "Give a monkey control of its environment, and it'll fill it with bananas." Yeah, yeah, it's a bit. I, I it's a whole. It, it's a whole. It's a whole. It is quite. It basically enforces. It, it's enforcing an idea that no one can ever rise above the station, so to speak. Mm. No one can ever evolve or progress or become i hesitate to say more civilized but you you know what i mean it's basically saying the androgams are, are dumb and violent and made to serve and that's how it should always be but that kind of attitude's just so fucking grim <laughs> and it's very undoctor like as well isn't it yeah because you think the doctor would be on the side of wanting to raise up a civilization maybe not through the methods that have been used, you know, technological augmentation and, and, and human, I suppose, you know, experimentation on a living thing. Mm. But also at this point, they've not done anything to establish the androgams. Yes, we've seen Shocker, but we don't know he's an androgam at this point. All we know is he's a chef and he's obsessed with food. Mm-hmm. And we figure he's an alien because he wants to eat Jamie and, you know, unless he's, unless they found a mad rampant cannibal. To and be, the well, yeah, the eyebrows, but it's just like, <laughs> it's it, it still humanoid enough to be on our our sort of level, isn't yeah. it, really? I don't know, it's just, it just hits wrong. Yeah, no, I get you, I get you. Um, we then find very quickly, I, I've seen this before, but it's quite a way back. I completely forgot anything to do with the Santarans. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea they were in this until they turned up, and I was like, oh, fucking hell, yeah, of course. Completely slipped my mind. And it turns out that uh, old Cheesy Knees herself and uh, her, her sidekick, the, the, the orange eyebrow cannibal, they are <laughs> working with the Sontarans. <laughs> weren't, they, weren't, they, weren't they a short lived uh, Britpop band in the, in the, in the mid 90s? <laughs> yeah, they had one hit, and now they're playing yeah. like the likes of Gloucester Guild Hall rather than big arenas. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, um, they're basically working with the Sontarans to, I suppose, develop this time travel with them. And they kind of have a common goal 
that well they they have their own separate ideas that cross over into this common goal of creating this time machine having control of time travel themselves to which they need Dastari and his intelligence but they also capture the second doctor here when the Santarans arrive well you say that we don't find out he's captured until later on it's basically left to think that the second doctor's dead okay yeah that's true because at the same time we see well I suppose we better get to the the sixth doctor it is supposedly his series and we finally see him and he's fishing with Perry yep. on the side of a on the side of some little pond or lake or some description, and Perry is obviously because it's 1985 and Perry is cast and we have that particular style of writing. Perry is basically you know as, as as naked as she can be with regards to it being on the BBC. Now, <laughs> <laughs> on prime time, exactly. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a very you know red blooded male. Perry is a very attractive lady. Of course, she's absolutely stunning. I find some of the shots in this serial, the way it was filmed. I mean, it, it's a running thing, isn't it? With, with regards to the Doctor Who uh, fandom. Uh, and even Nicola Bryan herself has spoke about it in that she was asked to wear certain outfits. Mm. Things were filmed at certain angles. To expose certain aspects of her personality, shall we say. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, it's fun watching you squirm your way around this. Yeah, and I I've noticed it in other stories, of course, but again in this one, it was, it was it's a, there's a bit in this. I can't remember if it's when later on when they're in Seville, and she's walking back to where people are hiding, or if it's in this where they're just getting all the fishing gear and and walking down the bank. But there's a sort of there's a meme that's sort of seen on online, and it's when um, when blokes try and write female characters. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and there's a line that says um, it was something along the lines of uh, her breasts bounce boobily down the stairs. <laughs> exactly, and I'll tell you what: how often do we get the? I suppose what would eventually become known as the the sort of Baywatch slow mo running. There's no <laughs> slow. There's no slow mo in this, but we regularly get to see Colin Baker, Jamie, and even Patrick Trayton running around you know they run past the camera sideways we see them running away from the camera you have a little think back how often when we see perry running is she running directly towards the camera and i'm fairly certain the focal point of the of the camera's direction is not neck and above no it's very much look boobies exactly exactly again you know she's a great looking lass but it's a bit on the nail isn't it Do you know what I mean? it's, it's a bit it's quite was, uh, again it was there was someone walking past my house as I said, as I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's it, it's something that I'm familiar with from this time in Doctor Who anyway. But this particular story is the most unsubtle I have found it so far. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's the physical embodiment of the the meme I said before. Yeah, yeah, they just yeah. yeah, it's just cheap titillation. There we go. Uh, back in the TARDIS, the Doctor collapses though, and this is due to the second doctor being captured or we or potentially killed uh tortured as well he's in this he's in this tube with the blue flashing light thingy and it looks like he's being tortured and, and basically killed from the little snippets we get that doesn't it mm. yeah it does jamie sees him uh you know being tortured and, and thinks essentially thinks that's it um that the doctor's done and the sontarans are taking over um it's all very much, you know, and that's when the doctor died. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, Jamie, Jamie escapes when the Svantarans enter the, the the space station. So he he's ran away on, on the Doctor's request. He he's legged it, and we then again jump back to the sixth Doctor, and he could feel something is wrong. Similar to I suppose how Peter Davidson was in the Five Doctors when his uh, his past selves were being pulled out of their timelines, and Peter Davidson could feel it. Colin Baker's doctor here can feel something is wrong with one of his past selves. But I liked this because he couldn't quite distinguish exactly what it was. And we had references to jelly babies uh, and other aspects of past doctors as well before he stumbles well, upon the whole recorder thing. Yeah, it, it, Perry, you know, he says he felt weak and then he was in another place. And, and then Perry, harking back to Peter Davison, suggests that he needs celery. Yes. Um, <laughs> he remembers the tensile strength of jelly babies which was, I believe, Tom Baker, more yes, than any. Yeah. And then, you know, having a clarinet or a flute of some kind. And that he was being put to death. And he says, but it's not possible, as he still exists. So he can't have died unless, well, as we'd all know, the only way he could exist is if he's a temporal tautology. Uh, of course, goes without saying, Dan, really, I think. Yeah, um, I remember <laughs> somebody's first time listening and, you know, got to catch people up. There we go. Perry suggests that the Doctor seeks some medical assistance. To which the doctor scoffs at and then has the same idea himself and claims it for his own. Oh, that pissed me off. Yeah? It's like, yeah, you just know that it's, it, again, we've all seen those people either at school, you know, either at school or in professional life where you're just like, you suggest something, five minutes go by this and suggest the same thing and go, I, wasn't that a great idea I had? Mm, yeah, and it's, either, it's either sheer dickheadery and just wanting to take the credit or um, they're idiots and <laughs> just weren't yeah. listening. I mean, this this is a big trait to Colin Baker's doctor. Well, Colin Baker's time with Perry, especially, is this way, isn't it? He's very much this is a theme that he's popping up throughout his stories, that he and Perry Perry vicker back and forth quite a bit. Initially, it's grating and and not very pleasant, but as time goes on, it softens a bit. But they still have these little disagreements, which it is more tolerable it's it's better writing i think but that aspect where she comes up with an idea and the doctor kind of claims it as his own is a reoccurring thing that they do during this time as well and it's tedious to be quite honest yeah yeah i, I think so uh the doctor i enjoyed this brings out some kind of i suppose it's like a, a collection of almost business cards maybe and contact details for various you know various um brilliant minds and he's listing all these different people before you know coincidentally uh stumbling upon the name ah uh, dastari dastari there we go before stumbling upon dastari's name and deciding that's where they're gonna go so that was a handy little coincidence there i suppose but <laughs> yeah. again it's, it's one of those where I think they've done enough at this point to establish Dastari's character as one of the brightest minds ever. So, yes. you know, particularly medically. So it makes sense, you know, he's gone through Archimedes, Brunel, uh, Columbus, Da Vinci, Dastani, why not? And he's, you know, sort of really effusive and enthusiastic about it being a pioneer of genetic engineering and his people who were researching on Romesons as the unstable factor in pin galaxies. And Perry's just sat there going, for fuck's sake. More words that I don't understand. <laughs> Look at me, aren't I pretty? It's basically her role at that moment, isn't it? I, I think she just wants something fun to do that doesn't involve laboratories or fishing. Oh, she was bored out of her mind at the fishing, wasn't she? She was not amused at this. Which uh, kind of get. Yeah, I've, I've been fishing once or twice, and it's, it's not for me. But there yeah. we go. That's a story for another day. Um, 
<laughs> Coming soon to SJP World Media. <laughs> <laughs> the Fishing Podcast. <laughs> it'd, it'd be quite short. It'd have in, intro music, then me going, yeah, weren't for me. Then outro music. <laughs> Thus concludes Cy Powell's Fish Tales. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, the Doctor and Perry pilot the TARDIS to see Dastari. And I liked this. It, the TARDIS materialises in the same spot that Patrick Triton's TARDIS materialised mm. in. But it's the, exactly the same room, exactly the same setup, but the meat is now rotting and the place is dark and dirty and it looks like it's been effectively not inhabited for quite a period of time, Dan, doesn't it? I love this in any sort of, uh, sort of sci-fi, you know, where you, you have sort of a time skip and you get to see the after effects of some sort of disaster and the place you've already been. Uh, there was a game called Titanfall 2 that did that really well, where you literally pressed a button to skip forwards and backwards in time. Okay. So to you, I mean, it's a first-person shooty bang bang game. So you're just like shooting at stuff, but you flip backwards and forwards through time to go like pre and post battle to try and traverse right. the world and fight different enemies and all that is really cool. Yeah, that does sound pretty pretty smart. I get a kick out of this sort of thing as well. I mean, I, I enjoy anything time travel, but when you're seeing, I suppose, the repercussions of something happening in one particular time or timeline in the same show and it's the same setting but you see the the differences in what's happened in another scene causing that i really enjoy all of that yeah, it's just brilliant though like you say seeing the repercussions and all of that really really clever and i kind of liked at this point tom uh tom, colin baker's um just sort of blase you know seeing the after effects of the laser bolts perry's finding the bloody rags and she wants to leave and the doctor's saying it could have been a comet comic strike but it appears deliberate and then he's saying about um all the threats that are, that are going on. Mm. What was it he said? He says, oh, it'll be, it goes into defence when he's saying, oh, it's um, uh, flaw trips, electronic sensors, death rays, jets of nerve, nerve gas. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, just like it's nothing at all. Because this is the the space station itself. Uh, well, the voice comes out, doesn't it? Uh, and starts talking to them, saying that it's, it's going into defence mode and so on. And initially I'm thinking, oh, okay, what has happened here we're aware that Sontarans have been there. The Sixth Doctor isn't aware of this yet, but also has the space station itself had some part to play in the destruction we're seeing. That's kind of like my mindset at this particular moment, Dan. Anyway, yeah, it was a bit. Um, it was a bit half three thousand from uh, two thousand and one, a space odyssey, killer space okay. station, or our father from uh, was it father or mother? Father from Alien, the, uh, right. the computer that was like sort of sinisterly behind a lot of it. But yeah, again, I like that. And, you know, they've got the the whole evil computer thing where it's depressurizing a section, removing the air. Yeah. So the Doctor has to quickly find the hydraulic lock on the door and he's, like, manually trying to override it by pumping air into it and basically getting it to pop open as Perry's... Perry, bless her, she gets a lot of shit in this first episode. She does. She and does. throughout, she, you know, she's passed out from lack of oxygen. And then... Oh, oh well, yeah. The, oh, I've got a note here about that. Perry faints. And obviously, somebody faints, they could pass out on their back, they could pass out on their front, they could pass out on their sides. You can shoot them from any particular angle you want. But apparently, it was really important to the story that we got a tight close-up of her rear end for this particular moment. I didn't notice that, but now you've said it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that was that was a choice that was made. It was indeed. It was indeed. Um, I suppose then we get another jump across to a different place and time and so on because old cheesy knees herself and shock eye 
they are in Spain now, randomly. And they're in, uh, well, in a villa, which we find out is close to Seville. And this is where they're meeting Sontarans as well. And the Sontaran ships are going to be landing in the villa. And apparently this part, I mean, we get a lot of Spain in part three. Mm. The whole, pretty much the whole of part three is set in, in Spain and is location filming. It's the last European location filming Doctor Who did before it was canned in 89. And also it was the first part of this story that was filmed. So they filmed the end of the story before going back and filming these first two episodes, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I suppose time constraints and and whatnot, and you have to get you know when you've got the opportunity to film there and you know the villa, the villa in the sort of complex that they're at. You mm. I suppose you just have to get it done, don't you? But yeah, you yeah. got cheese. You got cheese in these shit eye and, uh, and a walking potato. Exactly. The Sontarans in this episode, then Dan, they don't look good, do they? Fucking awful. <laughs> That's how bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, the the two tall. Yes. They look terrible. You can see the mouth moving under the mask. Mm-hmm. And they're just not intimidating whatsoever. It looks like it looks like somebody sat in Play-Doh. Yeah. There's a couple of times during the story where... I mean, there's a few things I didn't like about it. I mean, first of all, the Sontarans, as we recognise them now in New Who, they're, they're all regimented and look the same, don't they? Mm. They're all... Yeah. These Sontarans, there's at least a foot difference between the two of them. In height, there's one moment where it looks like the guy's put his mask on a bit skew with. (laughs) (laughs) There's another moment. Well, you say about that you can see the lips moving behind the mask. There's one occasion where the smaller Sontaran is talking and the lips aren't moving at all. And you can't see his mouth or anything. Um, And then uh, did you notice their shoes? No. They wear these big sort of clunky army what you can imagine to be alien army boots in in mm. new who don't they yeah. here they're wearing uh, relatively demure small almost winkle picker type boots that look like it's <laughs> a, if you glittered them up a bit more maybe david bowie would have wore it on stage in the 70s it's <laughs> it just looks so out of place you know these are these are my civilian wellies yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they weren't great, and it, it, it's you know we're, I think we're we're pretty fair on on this show, and, and you know say about how things age well, and give allowances for the time, you know how old stuff is, and and the budgets and whatever. But you could have just not filmed in Spain, saved some of your budget, and actually got decent looking villains. Right, this is something I was going to ask your opinion on. We'll get. I was going to do it a bit later on, but you're bringing it up at the per- now. It's the perfect time. With regards to the location filming in Spain, can you think of any particular reason at all that any of that had to be set in Spain? Because otherwise, they wouldn't get Colin Baker's doctor to show off how clever he is at recognizing the bells. Is that yeah? But that's not essential. That is literally fucking it. That is the only reason. Yeah. But it's, complete, again, it's completely pointless. It, it feels a bit like at this time in the eighties, it was still relatively uncommon to you know for people to be having you know foreign holidays, right? You know stuff like that. I think it was done to be exotic without being off world. Mm. 
Yeah. And the only other thing I can think of is that we got the we got the sort of the, the chasing around sequences in the, in the narrow streets and you know with all the little hiding places and, and whatnot in part three. Mm. But ultimately, no, it's not necessarily to, not necessary to be there. It's no. just a more it's just a more pleasant looking location than if they wanted to do the same thing in I don't know fucking Birmingham. Yeah, I mean th- th- there you go. And I mean they're in this villa for a long portion of it. That could have quite easily have been any building anywhere in the UK. It didn't have to be a villa it, in Spain. It could have it could have been a set. Yeah, there you go. Uh, running around the town, as you said, that could have been. Any, I mean, for some reason now in New Who, it seems every invading race seems to have a target on Cardiff. So why don't they just use someone more local? <laughs> in, fairness, in fairness to them, the, the, it's been Cardiff, London, and Sheffield. Yeah. Okay. But to me, it felt completely pointless that they were in Spain. It's not a problem. I've got no issue with them being in Spain. It is what it is. It's part of the story. They're in Spain. Fine. But it wasn't a necessity them being in this part of the world. Now that cost them money to do. Why didn't they save that money and spend it elsewhere? Yeah, the only other thing I can think of is that the the place they were at, you know, this whatever it was, I can't remember the name of the complex, but it had the it had the facilities that they needed for some of the escaping as well. You know, it had the basement, it had the, you know, sorry, the wine cellar, it had the the tunnel from the from the stables and, and bits and pieces like that. But I'm sure you could have found something in Britain. Gloucester's got basements and tunnels, mate. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> ones, yeah, but I mean ones that are unused. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, I, I'll tell you, I, this isn't why they did it, at least I hope it's not anyway, but I suppose the only thing that they maybe benefited from is being somewhere warm so Perry doesn't have to wear as many clothes yeah could be <laughs> we're going to film in we're going to film in Seville it's going to cost a fortune but it's going to look really good why are we doing that reasons yeah <laughs> Perry basically <laughs> four reasons <laughs> left leg right leg left boom right boom exactly there we go there we go Apparently in this villa, there is one life form detectable, and it's an elderly female, we're told. Uh, she is a blind lass who, when we see her, she is praying. She gets killed by Shockeye very quickly. We don't see much of her. But this enables uh, old Cheesy Knees to gather her knowledge. So she is now familiar with the local area and so on from this lady's memories. Now, I quite like that. I did. Until they fucked about with it. Okay, go on. So old Cheesy Knees has shown here that she has a way of taking knowledge psychically or whatever from somebody's mind. She shows later on that she can detect when other people are near. How the fuck did she not detect or hear the thoughts of people stood on the other side of a fucking wall three four feet away? Okay. Yeah, bit of a plot hole there. I just sat there and thinking, well, oh, there, they're yeah. right there, and you can't hear them. You heard this woman through through walls in in, in a in a little um, chapel mm-hmm. where she's praying. You heard her from there. Yep. Is it just that cheesy knees isn't concentrating? She's not trying hard enough. Must do better. I bet her school report said <laughs> C minus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. 
Uh, back on the space station, we find the Doctor and Perry wandering around, and it's dark and it's gloomy, avoiding booby traps and so on. Everyone is dead, apparently. And I enjoyed this. I thought this was a clever little bit of Wee Wee Beep Boop here, because the Doctor and Perry are in Dastari's office, and the lights come on. And it turns out it's the ship trying to find out where they are at this point because they are being traced by the warmth or the heat from their feet as they're walking around. But in Dastari's office, because he likes the finer things in life, he's got carpet and cork underlay and so on. So the ship can no longer detect where the Doctor and Perry are. So it turns the lights on to sort of try and track them. I, I really I liked that. That was a really clever little touch. Yeah, it's again another one, another bit that is probably more than ultimately this three part deserves but without it it'd be almost completely unwatchable i really liked it mm. it was it was very very clever and you know because of that now the ship has decided well let's up the temperature so they've yes. gone from suffocating and freezing to death to being roasted yeah and then the doctor whilst this is going on also finds Destari's. i suppose it's like a diary or a notebook or a journal of some description and he's got he's reading through to find out what's gone on and the last entry is about the time travel and the time lords protesting against this and so on so he's kind of getting an idea as to what might have happened but at the same time if he's he and perry come to the conclusion sorry that it's almost like the time lords are being set up because the doctor won't he can't get his head around that his people would have butchered all of these scientists Mm. So it's like a, they're being framed, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, what I like in this is it's Perry that actually suggests the setup, and the Doctor actually goes with it and doesn't try and hog the glory. Yes, for the idea. But he, like, oh, even even you. at one point, um, doesn't understand the term "framed," does he? He sort of, yeah. you know, oh, you mean being set up? It's it's almost like it's a rare moment from Colin Baker's Doctor where he he shows a little bit of not vulnerability, but not being quite as clever sometimes as he makes out, maybe. He's actually taking something on board rather than being a dick about it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, the Doctor uh, shorts out a door to be able to escape this ever-increasingly warm room. Um, but then we're back at the villa again. And this is when Shockeye kills the old lass. And we're jumping about a little bit here. But the way I'm explaining it makes it sound more sort of mis misjointed than it actually is at this point again i'm still quite intrigued in the whole story now yeah yeah i was as well it's it's one of those again where you're looking at these two very different storylines that now share a common element but you're now wondering how they're going to actually mm. sort of come together because we've got colin baker trying to figure out what's go what's gone on we've got old cheesy knees and shock iron and the sontarans in the process of of this whatever plot and then in that you've got the subplot of cheesy knees going to betray the Sontarans. yeah there's a lot of moving parts and it's very it is very intriguing at this point for all the you know for all the ropey bits that we've you know that we've shat on a little bit really i suppose, mm. <laughs> I suppose for lack of a better term but um, one thing i did like as well is that once again, very much like the uh, the Pertwee episode we looked at, uh, Colin Baker and Perry are in the they're in the ducts, they're in the sort of the bowels of a machine, as it were. Yes. Um, and we've got a mystery figure spying on them. Um, yeah. I also I also amused myself because they basically opened a hatch 
to get into the inner workings of it and away from the uh, from the computer. And uh, I've written in my notes, uh, Colin Baker gets Perry to slide down the shaft. Giggity. <laughs> Dear. I am, I, am no, I am no better than the people that wrote it. <laughs> yes, they are, I suppose, in the, the workings of the ship, aren't they? And it's a lot of... Uh, framework they're stepping on and walking around and apparently according to nicola bryant who played perry this was built out of old top of the pops sets from the bbc really? and, when, and when you look at after i read that and then you look at some of the images from that particular scene and then look at early 80s top of the pops you can see similarities between the, the sort of framework that's on the back of the stage and so on to the things that they were walking around yeah, and the gantries and all. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, what is it um, in this as well? When they're moving through the ducts, he, he, the doctor's pissing about with bits and pieces and jabbering on, and Perry's hearing this snarling. The doctor's getting shirty, and he gives her this line of saying, "It is the privilege of wisdom of wisdom to listen." You know, like being really condescending. And there's just a great sarcasm from Perry. He says, "The privilege of being frozen, then asphyxiated, then cooked, then climbing through miles of pipes." Yes, exactly. Um, and again, they're being stalked by this heavy breathing, cloaked figure. And then we jump back to that, that Spain was, again. That was, that was just one of the writers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> then we jump back to Spain again, and we've got a couple who are trying to catch moths for some reason at this point. That you know, they're, they're just wandering yeah. about in the hills in Spain near the villa, trying to catch moths. The guy's name is Oscar. I think the lady is—is is it Anita? Her name? Yeah, it's. I just Oscar just—he's such a trip. Yes, he's, I, he must be—he must be one of Rory's ancestors. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good shot actually. He is a proper drip, isn't he? And he's obsessed with different moths, and can he uses. And, you know, his, his moth-catching gear is a big net and a little pot with some cyanide in to kill the moths, which he says is the more humane way of doing it. I still think it sounds pretty horrific, to be fair. And that's when we see the Sontaran ship, which is basically a big grey ball it's, flying in. Yeah, it's, it's halfway between a disco ball and a testicle. Yeah, there we go. It's a disco testicle. Disco bollock. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Uh, but that's all we see of these people for now. And I appreciate that they're trying to introduce us to these characters because they pop up again later. But I don't really think it was that necessary again. This bit kind of was because it's Oscar that sees Val and Dastari carrying a body that looks a ah, bit like Troughton. Right. But then he's, he's also very scared about seeing injuries and blood and yeah. he's got a pretty weak constitution. And yeah, he'll go around killing moths, the bastard. Yeah, he's, he's a weird mix of a coward and a psychopath. Yeah. Um, he also, I thought, I had to look it up to make sure it wasn't him. I thought he looked like uh, Gordon Kay out of Allo Allo, but a younger version. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. I got that. Because I, I I thought I recognised him, but it turns out I didn't. Yeah. But that same. must be what I was thinking as well. Yeah, he, look, he very much looks like a younger Gordon Kay. Mm. He was only like 30 years of age when he filmed this, the, the actor, apparently. We had that paper round. Because mm, he died very young. I think he died maybe before, before he was 50. He had a heart attack and passed away, if I'm thinking of the right guy. Yeah, I think I, I think I looked at him mm. and saw something similar. Yeah, poor lad. Yeah, but poor lad. Effectively, this is 
we see that, so we've got the hint that the second Doctor's actually alive, then Perry in the ducts find somewhat signs of someone living down there. And she gets attacked by a hooded figure. Mm-hmm. And, and the Doctor accidentally sprays himself in the face and gets caught up in the cables. And that's your cliffhanger for uh, part one, isn't it? And that's Perry how the Doctor is... died. <laughs> exactly, how the Doctor died. Doctor is gassed and Perry is attacked. It's, uh, I suppose, looking back, I mean, we, you know, the start of episode two, it gets... Like many classic Who cliffhangers, I suppose, it gets explained away or dealt with relatively quickly. Uh, Perry knocks out her attacker. Uh, not only that, she kicks him in the dick. She does. She gives him a good old dick kick. Um, damn near falls out of her top whilst doing this. And then uh, goes and wakes the doctor up and it's dealt with. So it's, dealt, you know, again, very quickly sorted out. But if you have to wait a week to see that conclusion to the cliffhanger... Perry being attacked and screaming whilst the doctor is unconscious and hanging on these wires. I imagine that would have been pretty dramatic at the time. It's pretty dark, isn't it? And very, you know, very suspenseful. Um, and yeah, it's resolved quickly. And it also manages to piss me off again. Because as soon as the doctor wakes up, he's blaming Perry for his fuck up. Yeah. There we go. It's oh, all her fault. <laughs> but she's effectively saved the day. You know, mm-hmm. she's fought off her attacker. She's woken up. And and she gets a bollocking for it. Mm. There's no justice. Can't no. do right for doing wrong, poor lads. No, very true, very true. Um, we find out that the attacker is actually Jamie, clothed in all sorts of rags and looking a bit grotty and dirty and so on. And Jamie's mumbling in his in his, I suppose, dick punched sleep where he's uh, <laughs> he's saying they, they killed the doctor they killed the doctor the doctor obviously recognizes jamie but jamie will have no idea who who this doctor is and eventually he sort of wakes up but the doctor has to drug him to calm him down with two little sucker things that he sticks on his neck i'm not 100 percent sure what that was there's a there's a lot in this of, of people getting knocked out and drugged and yeah somebody was on one Mm-hmm. With all this, you know, knocking people out against the will and, and stuff like it was like, mm. was it all very, was it all 100% necessary? But it, it, the one thing that that made me sort of, con- not confused, but intrigued when, was when Colin Baker says, ah, Jamie, I remember I was fond of him. Yes. But Jesus, is that, all, is that how long it's taken for you to forget? Is that all? Mm, yeah. It's a bit dismissive, isn't it? Yeah. But I don't yeah. think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be a, almost a softer moment. But I don't know if the writing was bad or, or the way the line was portrayed was bad. Because it doesn't come across like that. I just don't think it suits Colin Baker's Doctor. Right, okay. I think because the Doctor it, it, here, he was trying to be almost halfway. He hadn't fully forgotten, but he didn't fully remember. I think... With Baker, with this Baker, he has to be all or nothing. Yeah. I don't think this version of the Doctor does subtlety very well. No, no, that's very true, yes. So I think that's why it's a little bit lost and comes across as a bit dismissive. Mm. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Because mm. you've, you've got Perry there giving it the gentle touch, trying to tell him that the friends and stuff like that. And you've got sort of Colin Baker's lack of social skills. The Doctor hypnotizes jamie as well as knocking him out with his neck sucker things and jamie then talks about what's gone on and gives information to the doctor and again i'm not 
overly fond of how it was done with regards to like the next sucker knocking out druggy thing and then the the watch to hypnotize him and so on but i think it's a clever way of updating the sixth doctor with background as to what the situation is in a quick way it, it worked the, the purpose of it was good if the execution wasn't great i suppose it's kind of an ends justified the means thing we needed a way to get like you say baker caught up on everything yeah but the things that they landed on were drugging and hypnotization <laughs> yeah it's like it felt more of an interrogation than a reunion yeah that's true that's 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 why it bothers me so much the doctor you know the half measured response to jamie from baker and then just say then just being like i know let's give him this I don't know, this fucking hypnotizing love bite machine on yep. his neck, you know, give him a little hickey and then let's hypnotize him. <laughs> for, for, the, hypno, the hypnotizing thing as well is very master. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 a good shot. Which, again, it doesn't feel quite doctor like. And it's no, it's these things that just just hit wrong, but you kind of you needed something. Yeah. Uh, just, Jamie yeah. describes the Sontarans to the Doctor, so he is clued up on what's at least part of what's going on. Then they try and remove the neck sucker things, and the first one comes off quite well. But did you notice the second one did not want to leave Jamie's skin whatsoever? That was pulling his neck, no, his neck skin virtually past his shoulder as he was ragging on this thing trying to get it off. <laughs> it, looked, it looked really painful. It, it was really brilliantly did. bad. <laughs> yeah, it's that again. It's that kind of endearing sort of set wobble effect. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at it thinking, oh, poor bastard. <laughs> the doctor then tries to explain the danger everybody is in and effectively says that the way it's working and the fact that they, they've got a former version of himself, it could mean that he then won't exist in the present if he's killed in the past, which is now their present because they're there at the same time and all this sort of stuff. And then goes on to explain that this will mean effectively the end of the universe with what they're doing. And Perry's like trying to get her head around it, asks how long this will take. The doctor says a couple of centuries and Perry don't give a shit. Then she's just like, Oh great. Couple of centuries. I got yonks. I'll see you later. And totters off to go and meet Jamie. <laughs> well, it's sorry. You might hear some mumbling now because I've got the window open because it's hot, but there's a thunderstorm potentially rolling in. Awesome. All sorts of weather here on the doctor who pod this week. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just started raining. Oh, if you'll excuse me, I'm off outside. <laughs> <laughs> you go strip off like Perry and stand in the rain. <laughs> oh, people will pay me not to. It's a whole other fortune. Um, we kind of get the hypocrisy. We say hypocrisy. It's the irony of the Doctor in this particular episode calling the Sontarans rabidly xenophobic. Yeah. And then we've you know he, he pulls this whole thing said oh i'm caught in an embolism outside the time flow at the epicenter of the engulfing chaos which is a dramatic way of saying it hasn't caught up with him yet mm. um and yeah just perry just couldn't give a shit she, throughout all this she checked <laughs> she's checking herself out in the mirror which on the surface is very much of that of the writer's mindset shall we say yeah <laughs> initially oh you're, you're spot on when that scene happened Obviously, we know there's a purpose for it, which we're coming to very, very soon, don't we? But when that initial scene happened and she checks herself out in the mirror, she goes, oh, I look such a mess. And she flicks her hair and adjusts her top and so on. My mindset is this is just another excuse to get Perry to wiggle on camera. Yeah, it was it was eye rolling. Yeah. 
And he's like, oh. I mean, like you said, that you know, I'm a red blooded male, red blooded straight male. I enjoyed it, um, but at the same time, you're also thinking it, it's pointless. Mm. This whole bit, you know, of, of, of checking herself out, and yes. also I don't believe if that's Perry looking a mess. No, ridiculous. Is that thunder? Whoa. That was a big bit of thunder. I might have to close the door, uh, close the window. Do you not like thunder, Dan? Oh no, I love it. Uh, okay, I'm just, I'm just thinking for the sake of the recording. Yeah, that was that was like as loud as the car backfiring earlier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel I feel bad. The rain, the rain is really starting to come down. We've just had that big thing of thunder, and I've just seen a woman go past on a on a moped. It's oh. just it's just like a really light skirt and a strappy top. <laughs> She's going to get wet. <laughs> oh, God. Poor lass is in for a bad time. Right. Okay, enough about the weather. Um, yeah, so Perry checking herself out initially, like we say, is just really eye rolling. Mm-hmm. And then we, get, then we get, she buggers off to find Jamie. She's like, oh, yeah, I've got a couple hundred years, it'll be fine. And we get the doctor monologuing about how she can't comprehend the scale of the eternal black blackness and getting wistful about the universe. And then she sees he sees Perry trapped in one of the, the blue death tubes. Yes. Yeah, but then it changes back to the second doctor, doesn't it, as well? And then Dastari. Yeah. And that's when the doctor that well, Perry then comes back in the room and the doctor explains that he thinks this tube is actually an illusion to give the impression that the doctor has been captured, tortured and killed. And the mirror that Perry was wiggling at is how they capture somebody's image. And that's why she is now in the tube as well. It's a hidden image capture thing and used to further the sort of evil purposes. Mm. And the other thing I did like was that the doctor trying to explain regeneration to Jamie and he's just like, no, I don't understand. And the doctor said, fine, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, all right, thicker. I'm the doctor, just just accept it. And Jamie goes, yeah, okay. No further explanation needed. Yeah, I've seen loads of weird shit. This is just another weird bit of weird shit. I'm good. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Uh, The second doctor is uh, in the villa, as we mentioned. He He is captured there. And the sixth doctor decides that he's going to use the power of telepathy to try and find where the second doctor is. Now, Contact. you know... Oh, see, I, I, was, I was hoping you would remember this. You know my thoughts on this kind of thing in Doctor Who. It was I think. Oh, I think it's shite. I hate it. The whole contact and the cutting back and forth. And we didn't get too much of that, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's absolute bollocks. But Colin Baker just has a bit of a lie down to try and track... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to try and track where his former self is. But then when he wakes up, he just starts going boing, boing at everybody. And then explains that that's the noise of a bell from a certain church, I think. Yeah, it's, and it's not really, that's not how a bell works. No. Um, to be honest, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty weird. And I didn't like it, so I'm just trying to show side of the rain. I don't know if you can well, see that. That's hammering now. I've got to walk a dog too. <laughs> Shit. Call you down at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to change out my Zubas because they'll end up see-through. <laughs> Brilliant. 
Um, the doctor identifies that this boing noise is a particular bell in Spain, in Seville, and he can pinpoint exactly where this, well, exactly where he needs to be, basically, which on one hand is bloody ridiculous, but on the other side of the coin, I could quite easily see Peter Capaldi's doctor doing this or Christopher Eccleston's doctor doing this. Yeah. You know, I, I'm okay with it, to be fair. Yeah, he's identified a famous bell in Spain so that he can go and be a famous bell in Spain. There we are. There we are. Uh, meanwhile, back at the villa, Shockeye eats a rat, which was lovely. And um... <laughs> see, the thing is with Shockeye, and and Tony goes the the creepy route with Perry. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually quite a good villain. Yeah, in a part, and then the dodgy name because he doesn't have any sort of redeeming qualities that we'd recognise as a human, apart from maybe his loyalty to Ch- uh, to Chassini. Mm. But he's just. He's just vulgar and yeah. vile. And he's, he's, but it's not coming from... That's just how he is. He's just there. And he's saying, mm, looks tasty. He doesn't know that rats are vermin. No, of course, of course. And that, But that's how his whole race is as well. That's how his whole race is explained to us as being. So it's not... I mean, I, I think he's a good villain in the aspect of that that is just how they are. It's not like he's... He's only concerned. He's only concerned. Yeah, he's only concerned is his own. Well, they're, they're sort of described as being all about base pleasures, if mm. you like, and, and his and his is eating. Yeah, and it might be an androgen thing as a whole, as we see later on. But yeah, it's it's kind of that single mindedness. Is that's what I was trying to get across? The single mindedness of Shockeye and his willingness to to go to any lengths and treat any species that he doesn't recognise as cattle. Mm. It's, it's, it's a unique take on, on, on a villain. I think it's, yeah. it's, this is, that's one of the sort of the higher points of, of this serial. But again, they just, they then take it, the creepy room. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice as well, when we were talking just then about um, the doctor ranting about, the bell in they're in the TARDIS at that stage aren't they the doctor's mm-hmm. ranting about the bell in Spain and explaining about where it is and how can she be so daft to you know oh, oh she says how can you recognise it have you ever been to Seville and he's like well of course I have how would I recognise it and all this sort of stuff we get a little moment where the doctor walks around her goes to the other side of the console so Perry's not in the forefront of the, of the image and I don't know I'm assuming you watched this back on BritBox uh, yeah. I used um, ITVX but it's it gets the gets the shows from BritBox because it says at the beginning, you know, from BritBox and so on. Perry says something, but there's no sound. She mouths something. Okay. I'm not hundred percent. I'm not hundred percent sure what that is. And my lip reading skills are not very good at all. But all I I rewound it to, try, to, to watch it a second time. I'm about fifty percent sure Perry calls the doctor an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope so because she deserves to. I mean, it can't be, and it won't be, but it really does come across. Without the actual sound of the words that she is saying, she mutters something uh, at him. As he's working on the console, she's looking at him sideways on, so he doesn't see. It really came across like she just went, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go check it out and see, see if I'm, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I'll go back and have a look at that. Because yeah. it's, again, she deserves to say it. But yeah, it's, it is a bit of a, a weird one, because amid all of that, we've got... Um, Chassini and Dastari and, and Shockeye setting up in this basement and Stike is concealing the ship from from what they call the primitives. Mm-hmm. 
and we've got a stake wanting him to hurry up because he's planning an attack on the Medillion cluster. So that's why they're there. And there's a sort of a, a very strange sort of sexual tension between Jacini and Dastari. Yeah. And that, that's when he eats the rats. And he decides that if, if he smoked and dried it, it might be tolerable. <laughs> so but, he's creative, at least. Yeah, oh, he knows he knows how to cook. You know, give him that. But when and then we get the doc, the bit with the doctor recognizing the bells in Seville, and <laughs> Colin Baker is having an argument with Jamie about Patrick Troughton, and I actually had to look up a word because he calls he calls Troughton an antediluvian fogey. Okay. And I'm like, what the fuck does antediluvian mean? Yeah. An antediluvian means before the uh, biblical flood. So before the flood that caused Noah's Ark, so it's just a way of saying it really, really fucking old. Fair enough. <laughs> I loved it. Antediluvian. Brilliant. Brilliant word. Yeah. If I could remember it, I'd start using it, but that's where I've already forgotten. Yeah, and um, I, I'm sorry, he follows that up with, if anything happens to me, I won't forgive himself. Yeah, I like see stuff like that I enjoy, when he's using different sort of past tense, present tenses and so on to describe his own, his own <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy looks confused and Perry's just there just going, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, the Doctor, Jamie and Perry land in Spain and straight away meet Oscar and Anita and they're talking, again, it's another, I suppose, vessel to fill in the gaps for the Doctor. They explain about the body being carried into the villa and all this sort of stuff and the spaceship that they've seen, but they think it's an aircraft that's crashed. And whilst this is going on, Triton's Doctor is being prepped for effectively an operation to remove aspects of his being to have almost like a biological key to use the time machine they've created, isn't it, Dan? Oh, what was it called? I'm looking desperately for it in my notes um, because they call it a symbiotic... It's, it's a symbiotic something or other. Where mm. It's basically, basically a thing in the DNA that allows them to, to pilot TARDIS. Yeah. Um, that's that's the whole thing, what they're looking for. It's, it's essentially a molecular link between pilot and machine. Mm. Um, there's a lot... This is the point where it's... It bounces around a lot, so you're never bored. But there is a lot of a lot of talking and a lot of exposition thrown from a few different sort of levels. And mm-hmm. apologies again for any background noise. The rain is now bouncing down. So oh no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, we've got rain and thunder in the background. It's because you've got Troughton waking up and he's talking to Dastari and Chasini, and he's talking about the drugs that he's been given and it's one of the anamode group and it's serial anamode that affects memory so they've written in a way a reason that Colin uh, that Colin Baker doesn't remember this happening right because he's been given this drug that affects memory yes yes but they never reference that again no. they never bothered to say like in um, in the 50th anniversary when they've got the three doctors together and they say there's the two sort of close in the timeline so we're not going to remember seeing Gallifrey because it does, you know, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. They, they explain that way, but this was just left in at the start of the second part, and we're just expected to remember it. I'd almost forgotten this happened, mm. but they went to the effort of putting it in, and then just abandoned it, just completely mm-hmm. abandoned the idea. Um, then we've got the another more stuff about the Doctor and and Chisini and Destari and 
and taking him part cell by cell and raising, you know, putting Chassini amongst the gods and and a load of the relationship between Dastar and the Doctor and how he's still got respect for him, but he's still going to murder him, which again is pretty good for a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more strife between Stike and 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 Dastari and you know the the Sontarans not willing to take orders, but they need him to to reach the goal, so they're having to having to settle for it. There's there's a lot a lot to take in there. It's it's dense and there's a lot of story, but it doesn't ultimately feel like it goes anywhere. Mm. Yeah, for a little bit because it is more planting the seeds, which isn't a bad thing. It's just there's a lot planted all at once. Yeah, no, I agree. Amidst it all, though, when the TARDIS does materialise with Oscar and Anita, uh, Oscar Oscar's reckons they're Interpol. <laughs> yeah, he's a pillar. Oh, God. Uh, um, the second Doctor, I, I liked this. He tries to goad a Sontaran into a duel, which yes. would mean getting untied. The Sontaran doesn't fall for it, and that, again, doesn't really go anywhere. But I really enjoyed that, because it got we got some good Triton here, didn't we? We did, yeah, because Stike's trying... Symbiotic nuclei, that's it. Okay. Um, that's the what they need off the Doctor in his DNA. And Stike's telling the Doctor... Uh, sorry, the Doctor's telling Stike not to trust Chassini. Blaming her being an androgen, which again is a bit... Fuck's sake. Mm. Um, and he's saying, you know, they're a treacherous species, much like the Sontarans, and Stike slaps him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, ooh, okay. That was quite brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, violent. But the, if you, it was part of Troughton's planning because he's trying to goad him and challenge him to a duel and it's tradition. And he calls his honour into question and calls him a coward. And Stike, actually, I think, out of character for a Sontaran, he just turns around and says, you, as you are not a Sontaran, you cannot impugn my honour. Yeah. But we get, a, in this in this three-part anyway, a rare occasion of Troughton getting to have one of his little one-liners where he just lays there strapped to the surgical table and says, well, that didn't work, did it? Yes, it's, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant, Triton. I really enjoyed this, and he also has an exchange with uh, oh, God, I've forgotten the guy's name again. Begins with a D. Dastari. Yeah, he also has an exchange again with Dastari, where we get angry Triton, angry shouty Triton as well, mm. and the guy is literally tied to a operating table. He he can all he's got is his is his face. Yeah, but he goes through so many different emotions and mindsets. Uh, it's just brilliant work. It's just fantastic stuff. Oh, he's doing all his acting through his face, mm-hmm. and it—he's it, just brilliant. He really is. You know, even the, you know, even though some of the content's a bit questionable, things that Troughton says, you know, in the first two parts, he is still a fabulous actor mm-hmm. throughout. Even yeah. even in the third part, and I'm sure we'll get to it. And you know, the changes he has to go through there, and the very unique. Uh, portrayal he has to put on mm, yeah yeah we're going to come to that in a moment um, but well we are basically at the end of part two now aren't we um, the, a plan is uh, made where Perry is going to distract the people in the villa so the sixth doctor and companions can get in to try and find where the second doctor is this I liked because we had old cheesy knees using her psychic powers that she has to, to say to that Perry, no, that she has when it's convenient. Yeah, when it's convenient. Yeah, Perry kept thinking doctor, doctor, so she must know the doctor. So, well, yeah, okay, well done, Brain of Britain. Figure that one out. And um, to, to, to test this theory, they're going to wheel the doctor past her to see if she gets a reaction. But obviously, they wheel Triton past because mm. that's the doctor they have in captivity, and she doesn't know Triton as the doctor, so there is no reaction. 
that again i thought was a really clever little plot moment you know yeah and do you know what else is really clever about the whole sending perry in to cause a distraction um she she protests and says i don't speak spanish and baker just looks at me and says neither do they yeah they're not going to know that you're <laughs> that you're not native they don't know what yeah. you look like so just get in there and oscar as usual just fucking sits there mm-hmm yeah, like an absolute melon. But that's this is the first bit where we shock eye sees Perry walking through the gates as he's going through a wardrobe and he's sort of looking at her and thinking, mm, hungry. Yes. But this is again this now it, I suppose this is it, isn't it? This is the end of part two. Uh the sixth doctor and Jamie get caught by the Sontarans, don't they? And Perry goes to leave the villa, and that's as you said, where Shokai is is looking at her through the window on this occasion, mm. heavy breathing, licking his lips, and we know because of the character and the way the character is, and this particular race of aliens are, he is thinking food and hungry, as you said. But this is where what we mentioned at the very beginning of our podcast today, this just comes across so dirty and rapey. Yeah, he ends up chasing Perry through the, I suppose, Spanish countryside, the the surrounding area of. The and, and, this is, and this is where I've written in my notes. This is, so Perry is bouncing boobily down the hill. Yes, she is indeed, and we get numerous shots of Perry bouncing away. You know, this is almost Pamela Anderson at the beginning of Baywatch. You know, filmed in a certain way for a certain reason, sort of style, I think. And eventually, Perry trips over. To obviously. Like, yeah, obviously. To them to see Shokai leaning over her, putting both his hands out in a grabbing, groping fashion, and going, "Oh, pretty, pretty, pretty." Mm, it's it's ah. not a good look, is it? No, it's not. No. But it's, that's the cliffhanger. It's creepy. Yeah, but before that as well, we've had a bit of wee wee beep boop because the okay. doctor and Jimmy have actually got into uh, into the place and they found the Cart's Rhymer module. And you've got, again, sort of a bit of foreshadowing and, and, and planting of the seeds where Colin Baker's saying about they've almost got it right even down to the Briod nebulizer. And he makes yeah. a point of referencing that particular piece, which, as was, we all know, is very important in time travel. Of course. Yeah. And he's pointing out that a time lord would be, uh, would if a time lord used it, it'd work, but with anybody else, no. And it has to be primed by the Rassilon imprimatur. Right. Which, is, as we all know, is the symbiotic, uh, symbiotic nuclei. And that's when the Sontarans overheard him. So yeah, I do. I did like that little bit of wee wee beep boop. Mm. Yeah, and again, that conversation with the Sontarans overhearing becomes quite important later on as well, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, and for the second time in this serial, we've got Perry scrambling away from an attacker mm. as part three starts. Yeah, um, and this is it gets creepy again because Shock Eye actually gets her and knocks her out refers to her as a fine, fleshy beast ripe for the knife. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we know by this point when you're watching it, he definitely means food. Yeah. But you're also... Yeah, but it's not, yeah. With, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it's just like modern hindsight and all that, but it is just like, oh, God. Yeah. But it one also... Thing, one thing, one thing that sort of redeems... That part redeems it is when... He's sort of he's thinking about eating Perry and he's, he's talking to himself and he says, pity, pity it's not a jack. Yeah. Meaning, it's not a pity. It's not one of the males. Yeah, he, exactly. He thinks the males would be better eating because they're more meat. Yeah, yeah that that is, I suppose, a, a touch in there that sort of maybe tries to take the edge off what we're talking about. But uh, away from what we're seeing on screen, character-wise, 
now with regards more to the actions of the people who are portraying these characters the guy who plays Shokai, he picks up Perry, throws her over his shoulder, walks her back to the villa because she's unconscious. Obviously, it's acting. Perry's unconscious. They've got to manoeuvre this dead weight body around. Um, he's a bit handsy, I think, isn't he? There's a couple of, you know, he's not afraid of a little bit of a butt cup. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he's not he's not shy of making sure that she's in the right position, shall we say, to go over his shoulder regardless of where he has to lay his palms, shall we say? <laughs> you have to phrase it like that. I, I tried to just phrase it as nicely and, yeah. as I can, but it didn't come out very well. To be I fair. don't think there's any way to nicely phrase it. We'll, we'll Let's move on. Move on. <laughs> yeah. So shock, shock eyes, shock eyes, had a grow up. Yes. It's very, it's again, uncomfortable. It is. Uh, and then we go, but again, I, there's, there's two there, there's two different ways to read it because, like you say, in character, Shockeye is transporting meat. Yes. And if you've handled that, if you've handled an animal carcass, you don't give a shit how you move it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. As long as you get it to where it needs to go. But I can't pass that out in my brain. <laughs> like no. the actual the actions of the actors. He did not, just as a person, he did not need to do that. No, and of course, we're also, we also have the build up to that of him going, oh, pretty. It's like they kind of set their own scene, their own lead There's so much of this that feels like, whether, whether, it's, whether it was the intent or not, there's so much of this that feels like somebody working through some kind of fantasy. Yes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's almost like an undercurrent of stuff bubbling away, isn't there? And even even when you just describe that undercurrent undercurrent of stuff bubbling away. Yeah. I, I thought I was choosing my words very carefully, but it's not working. Um, <laughs> anyway, but we said we were moving on. We, we did. Uh, the doctor, the sixth doctor, is forced into the time machine back in the basement uh, because obviously the Sontarans have overheard that they need him to do certain wee-wee-beep-beep stuff to make it work. And then we get a piece of pretty graphic violence for Doctor Who when Jamie escapes by stabbing a Sontaran in the fucking leg of a knife. Oh, yeah. He's shanking good. And it's right, it's right there. It's not, it's not hinted at. It's not subtle. It's just Jamie, knife, leg, boom. Stike takes an absolute ass-kicking in this episode. Oh, does he ever. I mean, it's hard to feel sorry for him because it's on Taran. Yeah, but yeah. stabbed in the leg, you know, knife right in the thigh. Yeah, and again, you can understand why. I suppose this era of Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who always got you know complaints from certain aspects, Mary Whitehouse and all that sort of stuff. But this particular era of Doctor Who, the Colin Baker era, where it became more violent, more graphic, mm-hmm. and obviously we have oh, more, more sexualized, more sexualized as well. Yeah. You can understand why complaints were raised. The number went up and up and up during this period in comparison to anything else, can't you? I mean, you've got to look at the other stories that we've covered of Colin Baker's in our four seasons of the Doctor mm. Who pod here. We've had, we've had, you know, fist fights. We've had sword fights. We've had people getting thrown into acid baths. It's pretty graphic stuff, isn't it? Yeah, for, for 1980s primetime TV, absolutely. Mm. And you know, even down to the part one, you know, finding the bloody rags and, and bits and pieces like that, that's 
it, it, it was a scene of devastation when they turned up on that space station again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's great for us looking back, and it'd have been you know if we'd have been the ages we are now at the time, we'd have been fine with it, I'm sure. Mm. But for something that was marketed as family primetime TV, yeah, I, I, I get it. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm not sort of siding with the White Houses of the world. I don't think it went too far with the violence, no. but I can understand the people with more, um, more moderate sensibilities, shall we say? Mm. I mean, put another spin on it. This is 1985. The show is what 22 years old at this point. Yeah, which is a long run for a TV show, but obviously mm. in the scheme of Doctor Who, that's only a third of its life. You know, we're approaching the 60th anniversary as we speak. Now, when the show was first commissioned and obviously was first put out there to TV companies and critics, it was explained as being wanting to be educational for kids. <laughs> you, jump, you jump forward to this era, you've got Perry wiggling all over the place, Jamie stabbing an alien in the knee, and the doctor punching people and throwing them in acid baths. It's quite a difference to William Hartnell teaching people about the Aztecs, isn't it? It is, yeah. But that's just how television evolves, isn't it? You know. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, Jamie stabbing the uh, the Santana in the leg could be viewed as education. Here's how to get away from an attacker. Make sure you've got a knife to hand and fucking shank him. Well, okay. Um- <laughs> Although, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, I don't. From what you hear on the news, there's not many kids that need that lesson now. <laughs> oh, mate, honestly. You want to read the local paper around Gloucester, it's shocking. But there we go. Um, the sixth Doctor and Jamie then find the second Doctor, still in the wheelchair from when they rolled in past Perry earlier. Yeah. But then they get recaptured again, don't they? And there's a lot it's, of back... It's, it's, more, it's more Doctor Who captured, escape, captured, escape, captured, right. escape. And it, it's... Uh, it doesn't happen enough times to get tedious, but I feel like we've seen it all before. Mm, right. Now, we, here, here's where I've got to sort of, I suppose, nail my colours to the mast, I guess. The first two parts of this story, we were critical of in places, and I think rightfully so. But again, we always try to be fair on this show. And even when we are critical of things we didn't like, it comes from a place of love because we love Doctor Who. Mm. There was aspects of the first two parts we didn't enjoy, didn't like, or criticised for whatever reason. However... I still really enjoyed this mm-hmm. for the first two parts. I still enjoyed the story. I still enjoyed the premise. I liked the way that there was lots of different moving parts with regards to the bad guys and who's going to screw who over and these different races with different motivations. I liked seeing Jamie interact with Colin Baker. I thought that was quite mm-hmm. a good dynamic. Once you get past the whole, there was no real reunion moment. The actual action part of the story between the two, I thought was, was quite good. Yeah, um, I, I, not for the obvious reasons we've discussed earlier, but I always enjoy Perry. I think she's a great character. Mm-hmm. I think she, you know, she puts up a lot of shit, but deals with it quite well. So far, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, episode three for me falls off a cliff. Mm. I think the majority of this episode is not needed. I think there's a lot of silliness in this episode. I don't know whether they were going for comedy and it didn't quite hit. I'm not sure. The captured, escaped, captured, escaped thing. Yeah, okay, we've seen it before, and it's not as bad as in other stories, so like the War Games, for example, <laughs> which was effectively... Oh, boy. That was effectively three years of my life watching the Doctor get captured and, and escape again. Um, they just... They, they, I mean, this is a 45-minute long episode. They must spend 30 minutes of this just walking around Spain. Yeah. 
it's it starts out still intriguing. Yeah. You know, when, when you've got everybody sort of converging on the, the Hacienda and you've got Jamie, the dramatic escape from Jamie, but then we've got the... We have a, a brief moment of Baker and Trout sizing each other up and basically figuring out that each one's the Doctor. Mm. That's fine. And the, the bit with Cesini revealing the plan to turn a Time Lord into an Andragon because he wants... She wants Basically, she wants an Andragon on her level. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's you know, and you get to see the look of horror on Trowel's face, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah. Then it becomes fucking Benny Hill. It's just. It, or, or, it, or it becomes it becomes Scooby Doo, of people. You know that bit, that thing that in loads of Scooby Doo episodes where there's three or four doors on one side, and everybody's running around in different combinations chasing each other. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All kinds of different alleyways in Spain, down different buildings. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's such a tonal shift that even the bits I did enjoy, that I'm, in isolation, I'm looking at, I'm thinking that's pretty damn funny. Right. It just doesn't feel. It just doesn't fit. No. Nah. Doesn't feel right. It, it's it's pulled a complete one tonal one eighty. Do you and think because it, the, I mean, obviously, stuff gets filmed out of order. I fully appreciate that. But the first two parts are filmed in this country, in the BBC studios. You know, as we said, with old Doctor Who props and bits of Top of the Pops. But they were filmed at a later date. This part in Spain was filmed first. Do you think that contributes to how different it feels? It could do, because I, I don't know enough about television production, how these how no. put together to, to, to figure that out, or, or to make an edu- you know, even make a half-educated guess. Because we still, you know, throughout this, we still get, you know, we're, we're getting the, the double double cross as it's put. Oh, everyone is, everyone's betraying everyone at this point. Which is, again, great intrigue. But as soon as, and, and even Chesini and, and Shockeye, you know, there's, there's betrayal there. And, and Shockeye going, getting all sort of Aryan about, about um, befouling the bloodline, you know, bloodlines and stuff mm. about that. There's still a lot there. We're like, oh wow, and we get the violence, and you know, Chasini throwing the acid bombs. The oh, that, yeah, that was uh, interesting. I mean, before we get to that, you mentioned there about the betrayal of Shockeye. Sorry, 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 I was, sorry, I was, I was, I was building to a point. I just got lost in. in oh, sorry. We, apologies, we've yeah. got, we, no, it's fine. We, we've got a lot of. We've got. There is a lot to like in this last episode, but it's so at odds with the daftness towards the towards mm. the second half of the episode it doesn't quite splice together. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's quite, like I said, I think tonal shift is, is the best way best way I can say it, and it is quite jarring. Yeah, you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. It doesn't quite splice together. That's, that's really, that, I can't word that any better. That's perfect. It, it's exactly how it is. It feels like you've got this story and these two parts building up to it, and then you've got the Spain stuff. It just doesn't quite entwine for me. It's not even the Spain, it's the, it's the civil city centre stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, sorry, not yeah, the villa but, stuff. But, but again, that that would fit. If 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 this third part, if the whole story was Chasini and Dastari kidnapping the second doctor because they wanted to convert him to an Andragon to help Chasini raise up the Andragon people and all of that. There's a way to do that. Yeah. But it's the fact that they've got it as part of this 
grand, almost Game of Thrones-esque plot of betrayal and double-crossing and, and agendas. And it, it, it's, like, it's, like putting, it's like putting a Benny Hill sketch in an episode of Midsummer Murders. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, we mentioned there about the betrayal, or uh, well, the betrayal towards Shockeye. Apologies, Justini. She shoots him. Did you just call her Chestini? No, Chestini. I've got written down here. I'll go, back to, I'll go back to Cheesinis. Um, <laughs> she shoots him, but even that baffles me because she's obviously shot him for a purpose. The con- you know the conversion of the second Doctor and all that sort of stuff. Which we're going to come to in a moment with regards oh, to the she, didn't shoot, she didn't shoot him, she drugged him. She zapped him with a gun. Somebody zapped him with a gun. Yeah, to, to knock him out for the procedure. Because oh, they're, right, using okay. shock, they're using Shockeye's DNA to, uh, to yeah. combine with, um, with Trouton's. But okay. then he wakes up, he just forgets about it. That's what I was going to get to. She, she, she's, whether, you know, whether it's stunned or whatever, she has zapped him with a laser. Put it that way. You know, pew pew yeah. and all that sort of stuff, right? Pew pew. Yeah, exactly. And then... When he comes, I thought he was dead. I thought that was it for this character. I thought when he was shot, I thought he was dead and they were just going to take what they needed from him and so on. So when he wakes up and then comically bends the metal bars that are holding him with the <laughs> cardboard, uh, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, this dude is pissed. The orange eyebrow guy is cross. He's going to kick some ass now. But he basically gets up and is like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Don't worry. Mm. He doesn't give a shit. The doctor's got about an hour before he becomes full androgen on the procedure. Shockeye wakes up. Troughton's so starts talking about food, and Shockeye's just like, "Oh, actually, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm annoyed, but first dinner." Yeah, yeah. And then it's they just—I yeah. liked the way the doctor said that because obviously at this point Troughton has, you know, he's got the spots on his face, he's got the orange eyebrows, and interestingly enough, I don't know if this is part of this particular alien race, but Troughton has woke up, woken up with a slicked back fringe as opposed to his normal <laughs> mop top. I don't know if Brill Cream is a huge part of that particular alien race, but it comes across that way. And I liked the fact that this this is a bit of comedy that did work for me. Triton is then acting the same as Shockeye with regards mm. to the craving of food and says that he knows where they can go to get food, but basically referencing ref, you know restaurants and so on in the city centre. But he says, I can't take you like that. You need to get some proper clothes. Yeah. And then next time we see Shockeye, he's they're both wearing well, Shockeye and the second doctor, they got these orange eyebrows, this face paint on, or whatever it is, and they both got big long jackets and top hats, and they're, they're just two fellas going out for dinner. It's brilliantly yeah, they're, silly. They look like they look like they're about to go. Sorry, I am uh, I put I put bets on my granddad because he's a massive horse racing fan. Went to see him yesterday because it was uh, the last day of Royal Ascot. Okay. And I was watching a bit with him, and there were dudes there at Royal Ascot who were like the trainers, and, and you know they've got these prize-winning horses and all that. They had the same suits as the Doctor and Shockeye. Amazing. With the same colour top hats and everything. I was looking at them just going, I wonder how much they had to eat today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I know for all the complaining about the tonal shift, saying it didn't work in, in sort of the grand scheme of things, particularly later on. It did with the, the clothes did, and then I thought when the first reveal the doctor and Troughton's got that look on his face, mm. <laughs> just it's really hard to describe. It's just it, it looked like he was about to make this noise. It just like any point he was about to go. <laughs> <laughs> and Perry just walked in the room. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, was, was you when you pissed? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it, it may be worth noting that I am oh, yeah. starving, hungry. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh, oh God. Um, but again, we've just got past we've just got past a bit as well. Um or just get oh that was it. The stuff with Baker. Um Bates, uh, Colin Baker, Jamie and Perry have had a strategy meeting and we find out that Baker heard Stike all along and didn't prime the uh, the cart's ribopod for Stike and he's taken the Brio nebulizer. So if anybody tries to use the the time travel pod, it'll literally blow up in the face. Yeah. Oh, the camera bugger. Oh, he's smart, isn't he? Um, <laughs> and it's just after this that we get Chassini throwing the acid bombs down to yeah. kill Sontarans. Kills Val outright. They're like sparklers, aren't they? Yeah, a little bit. But with green sludge as yeah. well. Um, it kills Val outright, and we, we presume it's killed Stike. And this is the point where the Doctor, Jamie and Perry are all hiding. And I'm just that thing, why can't you hear those three's thoughts just behind that wall? Yeah. Again, it, it's a little plot hole that, you know, it, it's the way it is to make the, because that's the way they want the story to go. But when you actually pick it apart, it doesn't work. Yeah. And this is this is where the tonal shift comes in as well, because we've got Troutman and Shockeye in the top hat and tails and we're having a good old chuckle. But it's sandwiched between acid bombs and Stike. Uh, basically, you find out that Stike survived, but he's covered in green acid burns. Yeah, he's a manky Sontaran, isn't he, at this point? Yeah, you're, yeah, he's had better days. Yeah. yeah, but then he gets fucked up even more because he tries the time machine and that messes him right up. But, it's, but, then, but again, sandwich between that, so we've gone, so I'm just running back through this. We've gone Trout and talking about food and taking Shock out to a restaurant talking about it. Strategy meeting and finding out about the double double cross. The Sontarans getting acid bombed. Troughton and Shockeye and Top Hat and Tails. Yep. Stike covered in acid burns hearing Destari and you know and uh, and Chassini talking about how long the doctor's got before he rejects the conversion. Then you've got the Shockeye asking about human cannibalism and misunderstanding what a shepherd's pie is. <laughs> Thinking, thinking it's a pie made out of shepherds. Brilliant. Then they flag down a truck, they carjack a guy and drive off. Mm-hmm. Baker's starting to feel, you know, feel the androgen. And then Stike trying the pod and getting basically electrified to death. It's a lot of just serious funny, serious funny. Yeah. So it's like, oh, fucking hell, this is going around a lot. But pick, they, pick, pick, pick something and stick to it for two minutes. Well, they do. They do just after this, and I think they pick the wrong thing because Triton and Shockeye go to a restaurant which is owned by Oscar of moth hunting fame from earlier on, and <laughs> they loads of stuff there, run up a massive bill, and so on. But whilst they're doing that, you've got the two different groups, and this is the Scooby Doo effect you described so brilliantly earlier, Dan. Yeah. You've got the two different groups of, you know, old cheesy knees and her mate, and then the doctor, Jamie, and Perry looking for Shockeye and Triton's Doctor. And when you say pick something and stick to it, here they do for quite a while. They pick wandering around fucking Spain and they stick with that for ages because that's all this episode is now for the next 10 minutes. It's them yeah. wandering around Spain. We're in Spain, let's show off the the city. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Um, the Doctor not... also, in the middle of all that, the Doctor decides he wants to eat a cat. Yeah, because the androgen yeah. uh, conversion's 
sort of taking over Troughton, which is knocking on into the future because it's not quite set yet. Which I, I didn't mind, you know. That's quite no, that a nifty okay. little. It's quite a nifty little travel point. Um, we had a woman throwing Dastaria flower for reasons. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I think she fancied him. Okay. And he didn't give a fuck. No. Um, but then you had Stike amidst all of this, all the you know the wandering around Seville. You have Stike staggering out of the house, choking because he, he survived the acid bombs and been blown up in the cart's rhymer pod. Staggering out of the house, choking as the Sontaran ship blows up and appears to cause a massive earthquake that nobody feels in Seville down the road. It's another. <laughs> it's a, yeah, <laughs> they keep saying about how close they are to Seville, and this shit blows up. The camera shakes violently, and no fucker feels it. But I think that maybe you know, and again, I'm I'm being silly here. It's all said a bit tongue in cheek. But I think maybe the people of Seville are just that casual about anything that it doesn't bother them because we get another example of that very very soon because when we next find uh shockeye and triton's doctor they're in oscar's oh. restaurant <laughs> so, and they've run up a massive bill eighty-one thousand pesetas eighty-one thousand six hundred pesetas and i've decided to take the time to write down exactly what they need okay go for it and then i'll get to the bit where the uh the seville public seem quite chilled out lobster clams and squid brains in white sauce two whole suckling pigs ham with figs eight steaks an entire family paella that's 12 servings and they've just ordered 12 breasts of pigeon to wash down the 12 bottles of wine why and oscar his only response to that is what a gargantuan repast yes which is the posh boy way of saying can't they fucking eat a lot now the one thing on there that i've not eaten before. I don't think I've ever. Oh, the two things. I don't think I've ever tried pigeon, and I've never had brains in white sauce. But I'm, I'm, I'd eat it. I'd give it a go. Mm, I don't know, man. It's one of those where I'm just like, it sounds so weird. I just want to try it to see what it's like. Because I could get, I reckon, <laughs> pun intended. I could get my head around that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, um, but then you know, I went to Denver and I wanted to try Rocky Mountain oysters. So you know, right. Um, uh, the oysters don't appeal to me. Oh, no, they're not, no, they're not actual oysters. They're, um, they're uh, sliced and deep, uh, battered and deep fried bull testicle. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds so much better. Oh, sorry, I had about 15 different jokes um, regarding, <laughs> regarding bull semen and the texture of oysters. Oh, dear. <laughs> but uh, my brain didn't work quick enough. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> effectively, this ends up in an argument and a scuffle. And we get our second in- incredibly violent moment where Oscar gets stabbed. Yeah. And he dies. I thought he was just being dramatic. I, yeah, was, fully, I was fully expecting him to just be like, oh, wait, it's not actually that bad. Yeah. But no, he's, he's fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, he gets killed. And there's two things to take from this. And again, this comes down to, I think, direction and the way that Doctor Who is done at this point in time. The guy has been stabbed in a fight in the middle of the restaurant. Everyone else in that restaurant is just sat there finishing their grab. They don't seem arsed at all. You know, they have a look. Don't get me wrong, but nobody screams, nobody shouts, nobody runs away. The only people to react are the doctor, Perry and and Jamie, who have uh, arrived on the scene. Nobody else seems to give a shit, which is, you know, a bit odd. Maybe they thought like the same that we did, thinking that, you know, it's only only a scratch. I've actually got in it. I've got, I've got my, in my notes. I'm saying it's a bit of a melodramatic shit. I bet he's pretending to die. Right. 
just because of just because of how it was in the earlier episode, earlier in the episodes where he said, "Oh, the sight of blood, oh no," and you know, and they're putting across that he's an actor and, and yeah. quite he's just generally quite dramatic and over the top about things. Yeah, and I yeah I uh, kind of kind of felt a bit bad when I realised he was actually was like, oh, I think that was meant to be some sort of like moment that they were having there, but it was completely lost on me because I didn't care about Osk. Yeah, fair point. And similar in a way, I suppose, to when Peter Davidson uh, regenerates into Colin Baker in the TARDIS and we get that moment of a change, my dear, and it seems like it hasn't happened too soon and all this sort of nonsense. When Oscar dies, we have a shot of Oscar's dead body, the Doctor trying to look a little bit remorseful. But what dominates the screen is Perry's boobs. She even crouches down and leans towards the camera to make sure that that shot is gone. I'm not saying that's Nicola Bryant's fault. But that's the director. obvious that this is the direction that they're facing. And I'm just thinking, again, it's, it's so unsubtle what they're doing with that. You know, it's just... Hey, do you know what fixes the sad boobies? There you go. <laughs> Whilst all this is going on, though, um, I- I'm guessing... It's so fucking ridiculous. Perry's chest must be magic, I'm assuming, because the shot of it we get changes Patrick Triton's Doctor back to being the Doctor, I guess, suppose. <laughs> the, the orange eyebrows... <laughs> the, the, the sight of Perry's chest means the orange the eyebrows mag- disappear. <laughs> Effectively, the magi- is what, the, what the, they're telling us. The magic... The magical, mystical, healing honkers. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Good work, Perry. And your magic boobs. Um, <laughs> but it's not finished, because both Doctors, Perry and Jamie, are then recaptured again. <laughs> For sake. As they're arguing about which direction to go in. Perry's, Perry's tits were useless in that situation. Yeah. Didn't harp out at all there, Perry. Come on, love. Um, as they're arguing about which direction to go in, old Cheesy Knees turns out of a little, a little zap gun that didn't kill uh, Shock Eye earlier on and says, you're going this way, and takes them back to the cellar and back to the time machine. Perry's put in the time machine to make sure it oh, works. Oh, wait, no, sorry, you're missing, you're missing a bit here. Because okay. Shock, Eye's, Shock Eye's already back at the Hacienda. He's getting all his clobber back on. Sees them all walking in. And I thought this was going to be... The bit where it's like, right, the back, I'm going to fucking have it out with Chassini. Yeah, she shot no, me. No, he goes down, tells her that the uh, the ship's blown up, but he's found Stike's leg and he's going to eat it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. Oh, it did my head in. It absolutely did my head in. Um, yeah, Dastari finds the pod, you know, examines the pod, sees the Brio nebulizer is missing. Baker reveals that he's got it and, and all of that, and it's got his prints and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, just kind of catches every everybody up, and that's the point where they put Perry in. Yeah, yeah, um, to try all the machine to make sure that it's not going to blow up on on anyone else, and so on. Mm. Um, the doctors get tied up, and this is really cheesy, old school, almost ridiculous James Bond esque situation here, because the doctors are tied up. Perry is also tied up. Jamie is took away to be prepared for food. And not prepared for food. They're not cooking him dinner. They're going to prepare him to be food. I mean, <laughs> it's not like, you know. They're having, they're having him for dinner. Jamie, you're our favourite. Come with us. We'll make you a sandwich. That wasn't their motivation. They were going to cook him. And, um, <laughs> Jamie, you're our favourite. Come with us. We're making you a sandwich. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and 
the story locks them up and then a table that is only what five foot from where they're locked up yeah he dangles the keys at them (laughs) and then puts it on the table and walks away and it's that same adage of all the old classic bond films that you've almost got the same as pro wrestling you've almost got to have that suspension of disbelief to to allow yourself to be engulfed in the story because this is a trait in bond films of of you know the, the evil villain we'll use blowfelt as an example or goldfinger as an example or whatever has created this huge elaborate way of killing james bond when he could easily just put a bullet between his eyes yeah bang he's dead job done but oh no he's got to tie him to this you know metal casing and dangle him above a shark tank and um you know lock the door but then he's going to fuck off and he's not going to stand there and watch him die to make sure it's happened. He's just going to assume this is the situation and Bond is dead. Obviously, Bond escapes. This is exactly what this is. They lock them up, leave the keys there, bugger off and just assume, oh, they're going to stay tied up. You know, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. But uh, it's there is a way to do it where you where you just for the sort of the resourceful escape. Again, I go back to the 50th anniversary. Okay. When the three doctors are, are in the Tower of London, and they're saying, "Oh, what if I set this, set this program going in John Hurt's sonic screwdriver? Matt Smith is that much older that it'll be finished, and we can dissolve the door." Uh-huh. You know, thousand years in a few seconds. That's yeah, brilliant. that makes sense. Yeah, that's a smart way to do it. This was so blatant and just so easy. You're right; it, it crosses into the realms of cheesy. Mm. It's just yeah, it was it was kind of like ah, oh, that's it. it's a little bit clever, but yeah. they kind of just needed the two doctors there to basically to have Trout and give his seal of approval to how smart Baker is. Yeah, so, you know, saying that oh, you've 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 rigged the you've rigged the Brio nebulizer, you've paired the interface. I left a thin membrane so it'd only work once because the doctor uh, Colin Baker had already thought that far ahead. Mm. But again, it's just sort of throwaway. Yeah, it is. It is. Eventually, they escape from being tied up by using. They get Perry to kick the wheelchair across to them that the doctor, the second doctor, was tied up in. Yeah. Then they position this, the wheelchair to be able to wallop it into the table to make the keys fall on the wheelchair to then fall towards them so they can unlock that their, um, you know, the locks that are holding them. It's daft, and but then we It's a, another strange decision and a strange bit of the story where. Colin Baker frees himself first, goes to run, gets told to go save Jamie, who's screaming, mm-hmm. forgets to throw the keys to him, and then has to chuck it back. The others then, uh, sorry, Troughton and, and Perry then take so fucking long to free themselves, because but we've had this bit of silliness and this you know creative escape and whatever, and then we go to shock eye tenderizing Jamie alive, yeah, and saying primitive creatures don't feel pain in the way we would, yeah, it's. Mm. It's that tonal shift again. And I like the, the interaction between Chassini and Dastari and Chassini sort of chastising him, calling him a fool for letting the Time Lord escape and, and basically asserting power in Dastari, realising it, because I was like, oh, shit, I've gone too far with this. Yeah. I've made, I've, I've made her too intelligent. You know, maybe the Doctor was right. Um, yeah, it's just... I don't know. Uh, but again, you know, Baker's trying to sneak downstairs and gets Jamie, but Shockeye, uh, he frees Jamie and then Shockeye overpowers Baker and cuts him. And Baker's leaving a pretty hefty trail of blood. 
Yeah, and and this was interesting. I mean, first of all, there's a little bit of a continuity error here. If you look, he cuts Baker with a knife mm. in the kitchen as they're running around the table where Jamie's tied up. Yeah. Then they run straight outside. That knife is a completely different knife when we get outside. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, completely. And to the point where the, the one that he cuts Baker with is actually quite visibly bent to the side. Mm. And the one he's got when he runs outside is straight and clean and, and sparkling brand new and so on. Yeah. Uh, it's similar in a way, I forgot to mention it earlier on, similar in a way with the fishing scene at the very beginning. Perry, <laughs> they, they're in the fishing scene and then they walk into the TARDIS. Mm. Perry has a different pair of shoes on when she walks oh. into the TARDIS than when she's outside. But again, little things. But um, but this all gets wrapped up relatively quickly now because we've got old cheesy knees getting excited because there's a bit of blood on the floor. And starts licking the that blood. Was, the see, that was, that was creepy. Yes. To be honest, that, that was... This whole thing of, of the Doctor getting slashed and running away from shock, having to run away from shock eye because the Androgons are a very physically adept and, and brutal race, mm. you know, and easily overpowering. That's a bit of peril. I think that's quite good. And yeah, then yeah. Chassini effectively reverting to type, if you like, and... and kind of proving the Doctor's earlier xenophobia correct and, and just collapsing on the stairs and almost reveling in the tasting of the blood. Mm, yeah. That's she's, like, been very, she's been very sort of uh, airs and graces and, and so on. And, and, and She's, she's been know. calculating mm. and cold and brutal and, and uh, seemingly above, or, you know, above, essentially above what shock does. She seems to consider mm. herself above that. Um but then here she is, she's letting the mask slip, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shockeye gets his comeuppance because he chases the second doctor, oh, sorry, the sixth doctor, apologies, into like the Spanish countryside, as we mentioned outside the villa before. The doctor then comes across old Oscar's moth hunting equipment or catching. Do you hunt a moth or do you, you just catch a moth? Don't you know, hunt moths. Yeah, no, all you, all you need is a light. Yeah, okay, so it's, it's moth-catching gear then, as opposed to hunting. <laughs> and, of course, as mentioned earlier on, it, there's the cyanide there, which he uses to quite violently kill Shockeye, which, again, is another aspect of the Doctor in this particular time that is quite un-Doctor-like, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. Very un-Doctor-like, but a good bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I like the way that the cyanide was there and spoke about, well, you know, in theory, weeks ago, potentially the way it was aired, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, but I don't want to see the Doctor killing people, outright killing people. No, and that was a brutal way to do it as well. Met over the head. Cyanide then, in the mush. Yeah, that was very very graphic, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, and brutal. And and, and then not only that, he, he throws in like an action hero one-liner and calls it Shock Eyes Just Desserts. Very Bond-like again, that is. That's Roger Moore. Budget Bond. <laughs> Bond. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very much... That was very Roger Moore-esque style James Bond situation, I think. Um, yeah, back it's... at the villa, we have... <laughs> we, uh, oh, Cheesini's shoots Destari. Yeah, because Destari has betrayed her, effectively, yep. um, because she's after universal domination. Um, one thing I did like, Jamie essentially throws his knife and knocks the gun from her hand. Mm. I thought that was a very cool little bit. You know, he's, he's on the scene. It feels like it's taken forever. You know, it's one of those sort of things where the timelines of the two stories don't quite sync up. We've spent so long in, in one little bit, it's hard to reconcile that these two things are proper, properly happening simultaneously. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I love the bit with the knife. And then Cassini, despite having all this intelligence and this extra Andrigan strength and, and probably being able to overpower everybody, just gets in the pod and tries to fuck off. She tries to secure the time travel. Yeah. And it blows up and it kills her. And that's it. Everybody's done. Yeah. Everyone's dead. That needs to be dead. And... The doctor, the second doctor, uses a little retrieval gimmick and wolf whistles the hardest. A, a Stanheim remote control. There we go. And what, what I did like about that is that Colin Baker's saying, oh, I'm jealous, I've always wanted one of those. Shouldn't he have it? Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's his past self. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the doctor and Jamie leave without really having a proper goodbye in a similar way they didn't really have a proper reunion. It was kind of, cheerio then, we're off. Yeah, Jamie says bye to Perry properly. Yeah. And to Baker. And Baker says, oh, keep an eye on the old fellow, would you? And it's kind of just an exchanging of barbs, isn't it? Because then Trown's leaning out of the tide saying, do try and keep out of my way in future and in past. Yeah. That Which might, I thought was a fun little line. Yeah. yeah. But there's no... There's very little sort of nod and, and, and passing of the torch, if you like. Mm. You know, I don't... I just, I don't know. I just wonder if this would have maybe been better with Peter Davison. Yeah. Not, not, not because Davison's better than Troughton, just to have Davison come back for another story, but then give Baker that nod, that passing of the torch moment. Right, okay. That sort of that my future is in good hands kind of thing. Mm. Because I think Troughton and Baker didn't get enough screen time for that to to really happen. Baker sort of said as much in the script that he vaguely remembers Jamie and therefore vaguely remembers his time as Troughton. Mm. I think they were just a bit too far apart to have any meaningful on-screen connection, even though they are the same character. Do you think maybe we have been spoilt with New Who and the way they deal yes. with former versions of Doctors, even with regards to the the classic era doctors in the, in, in the Whitaker regeneration episode that was done incredibly well with McCoy and, and so on. Do you think that has maybe spoiled us a bit? Yes, that did cross my mind because there's an element of what am I used to, you know, after seeing the 50th mm. anniversary and all the subsequent stuff, but even back to the three doctors and the five doctors, they did it better than this mm. for my money. It's just, I don't know. You know, it may have, it might just be, a vision that's not been quite executed to what they wanted, but it was all very th- throwaway. Yeah, okay. It was. It was just. Oh, here's Troughton for a few weeks, and he's gone. Yeah. At least in the three doctors and the five doctors, they have, they have the moments, they have the f- the farewells, that that great interplay between uh, Troughton and Pertwee. You know. And, and stuff like that it's it's just completely missing here it, it's missing it's, it's a bit soulless of an ending yeah oh yeah without a doubt you're spot on with that I think, that, the the whole thing, very... I think the whole thing's a little bit soulless really mm. it, you know it's very it's very interesting and intriguing and, and stuff like that but I'm left with no great love for it yeah I know what you mean somebody who who was left with a great love for it was Colin Baker himself he explains mm. that this is uh, his one of his favourite stories to have recorded on his time with Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and that was primarily because he got got to work with Triton. And oh yeah. He mentioned about um, 
there's not masses in the story and and it's almost like a little bit you know disjointed and so on bits and bobs here and there the old the whole aspect of triton having almost time lord dna i suppose for want of a better phrase certain biology removed from him to help with the development of time travel for another race that was actually part originally part of the script for the five doctors the Cybermen were supposed to be doing something like that. I don't know if it was the Triton's Doctor then, I'm not sure. But the Cybermen were supposed to be doing something along those lines in the Five Doctors. That was going to be their aspect of that okay. story. But it got cut back because of time restraints and so on. So we just mm. had the type Cybermen walk around with a big bomb trying to blow up the TARDIS, if you remember. They weren't in it back. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. But, um, so maybe that contributed as well because the person who, who wrote this story had this bit of a an idea had a direction he wanted to go in that wasn't used elsewhere. So we used it here. Maybe it didn't flesh out enough to hide certain aspects of the story that weren't maybe necessary. For example, running around Spain for what seemed like half my life uh, and, you know, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, I suppose in summary then from, from my aspect, first two parts really enjoyed, even if there was pl- plenty there to poke fun at or to even dislike at times. First two parts I found really intriguing, really enjoyed the third part. I don't think was necessary. They could have quite easily done this in a two-parter mm. and cut out a great deal of what happens in the third part. I don't think Triton was used as well as he could have been. I'd like to have seen more interactions between Triton and, and Colin Baker. I did enjoy seeing Jamie with Baker, though. I liked that dynamic. That was very yeah. good. But ultimately, when I see an old Doctor come back, and again, this is very much with my mindset in New Who, I suppose. When I see an old Doctor come back, I want more interactions between the Doctors themselves. That's the whole point for me. And yeah. I don't think we got enough of that here. So, yeah, that's kind of... I, I, could, I could go back and watch this again, but I wouldn't rush to, if that makes sense. That is exactly how I was going to put it. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. There's yep. quite a lot in here that is good ideas and maybe a bit of bad execution. Like I said, the first two parts are very, very intriguing. You're thinking about oh, what, where's this going to go and all that. It's interesting. But I don't love it, if you know what I mean. it's There's just that little bit of stuff missing, and I'm, just, I'm left with it being sort of middling, really. Yeah, and you know, if I'm going to go on a on a on a, on a numerical scale, it's like a five, five and a half out of ten. It just leaves me a bit cold. It, there's a, you know, all the there's, there's a lot of stuff that maybe hasn't aged well in high, you know, with hindsight. And Oscar annoyed me, and just yeah, you were right at the start when you said the good bits are good, really good, mm. and the bad bits are just shit. It's it feels to me in a, in a similar way to how we kind of summed up how old cheesy knees school reports might have gone over a telepathy in that yeah. <laughs> there's, there's something there, but just try harder. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a shame, but you know, something's got to, something's got to come at the bottom at our end of series wrap up. And, oh, you know, it, at, the, at the minute for me, this is it. Uh, so I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and have a look, but I, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Uh, I can't even remember what else we've covered this season, to be fair. So, <laughs> I'll have to go back and have a look. But speaking of this season, what are we doing next week, Dan? We're talking about Doctor Who. Awesome. Um, okay, see you next week. <laughs> no, next week, we're, uh, we're going to uh, Jodie Whittaker, and we're looking at Eve of the Daleks, which, I've, if I remember rightly, is the New Year's Eve special. Um, yes. 
that you picked that had um, oh, what's her name uh, Ashlyn B uh, the comedian it, yeah. in it yeah so yeah looking forward to that I, I do remember this one fairly well um, I remember enjoying it so I'm excited to see if it's uh, if it's held up and it's actually we've got a, a Dalek double bill Okay. Uh, because uh, next week we're looking at Eve of the Daleks, and then the week after we're going back to Colin Baker, and we're looking at Revelation of the Daleks. Nice, bit more Baker. Let's see how that holds up. Yeah. Okie doke. Uh, before we depart, then, my friends, John, everyone know whereabouts they can find you online. Yeah, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, uh, you can find me first off uh, on Twitter at DanGriffin21, and you can hear me chattering about wrestling over on Unbooking the Territory, uh, which you can find at UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of wrestling. Uh, we've got a side project, Unbooking the Tankatory, which is on uh, at UTT Tank, where we look at the life and times of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived in WCW, Mr. David Tank Abbott, and our second side project, Unputting the Territory, where I somehow got roped into looking at the only time a wrestling championship has ever changed hands in legitimate sporting competition and that is the being the elite championship in their Gator Golf Tournament where we take a sporting look at it because it is sporting presentation and legitimate competition and I get far too wound up <laughs> Brilliant Anything I'm involved in you can find via the network that carries this show so that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast players platforms and providers and we have all sorts going on there live shows you know, all over the place covering wrestling, gaming, um, f- Premier League football coming very soon with the start of the new season in August, as well as plenty on the podcast side as well, looking at various different TV shows. Again, plenty of wrestling stuff there, nostalgia-based wrestling, modern-day stuff, uh, all sorts going on. SJP World Media for everything there. Make sure you give it a like and a subscribe, please. But most importantly, you can follow this show at the Doctor Who Pod on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the Doctor Who Pod at the D R W H O P O D. Dan, it's been an absolute blast, my friend. It's been funny talking about orange eyebrows, rat-eating aliens, and Perry's boobs. So I will uh, <laughs> speak to you next week, my friend. It's been an experience, mate. I'll catch you next time. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. If Perry's boobs could heal stuff like that, imagine what the Doctor's dick could do. Oh, for crying out fucking loud. Fucking hell, that was a big one. <laughs> Said the starry to Chasini. Um, <laughs> yeah, tampered with his biology. <laughs> <laughs> First one for the outtakes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>